Hi, this is Pastor Philip Lin, and I'm the Senior Pastor of Skyline SIB. Welcome to the Skyline SIB podcast. We're so glad that you're taking time to tune in. Whatever you may be going through, God is with you, and we hope that this message will encourage and inspire you to draw closer to Him. Enjoy the message. Tears are not enough. What comes into your mind when you read this title? A lot of people have asked me, so I did a quick survey among friends and some church members. And I want to highlight to you some of the things that they, some of the more notable images that they brought up. Firstly, most people said it's about sadness. Tears are not enough. And then uh, some people got a bit cheeky. And uh, you know, uh, eye drops. And then uh, crocodile tears. And then I warn you, it gets a bit weird from here, the kind of friends that I have. Tears are not enough. After you eat chili party, you know, you not only need tears, you need a lot of ingus and, you know. Uh, and then, well, I also have BTS friends among my friends, you know, blood, sweat and tears. Right. And then, of course, you cannot talk about BTS without talking about K-dramas, tears are not enough, you know, when you watch uh, But, you know, here comes the clincher. This is my favourite. Wait for it. Forgetting your wife's birthday. <laughs> tears are not enough. <laughs> so, hopefully after today, you have a different mental image about this phrase that's more godly. Have you encountered a burden for a solution so huge? that you don't know what to do about it, you know, or even where to start. For example, the problems in our nation, the pandemic, uh, racism, religious extremism, injustice. Nehemiah did. And he prayed this prayer that literally changed history. Are you excited? Do you have enough tears? Okay, let's find out why tears alone are not enough. Let's go to Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Sushan, the citadels, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came from, with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept for and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was a Jew that was born in captivity. And uh, captivity meant the exile in uh, when the Babylonian king came to uh, destroy the country of the nation of Judah and, and deported a lot of their, its people back to Babylonia. So that's the captivity. And Nehemiah was born in that captivity and when he was recording these words, it was the 20th year of the Persian king Artaxerxes in 444 BC. Now, round around about... Uh, 100 years ago, Nebuchadnezzar 
around 587 BC, had destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the city wall, had destroyed the temple. And at that time, as I showed you, he began to deport the captives back to uh, Babylon. And then, in about 538 BC, right on to the prophecy of Jeremiah, 70 years in captivity, Cyrus, the Persian king, allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem. And Jerubbabel uh, and Shishbazah, some said it's the same uh, return. They lead groups of exile back to Judah around about 537 BC. And Ezra also led another group back to Jerusalem, 458 BC. And when Nehemiah was recording this, it was about 13, 14 years later, in 444 BC, and King Atasazah sent Nehemiah back to Jerusalem. He heard the news from Hanani. The returnees were in great distress, and the wall is down. So grieved was he that he sat down and wept and mourned for many days. He was fasting and he was praying. And God brought a turnaround through Nehemiah, and he went on to build this, the wall of Jerusalem in a record 52 days. 52 days. It was better than a lot of China contractors these days. 52 days. And it's recorded in Nehemiah 6.15. If you're familiar with Netflix, that's around episode 6. <laughs> so what did Nehemiah pray? That was so powerful. And how can we appropriate it for ourselves? Firstly, we have to catch God's burden. How did Nehemiah feel such a burden for Jer Jer Jerusalem and the people there? Now, at first, you might be thinking, you know, uh, Nehemiah was a Jew, so it was only natural for a Jew to have a heavy burden for Jerusalem and, and he would be saddened. But you know, through the exile, even though the king allowed the Jews to go back, not many Jews actually returned with Zerubbabel and also with Ezra later on, the best estimate was about 20%. A lot of them did not return. They were too comfortable. In fact, I think they were, you know, they obeyed Jeremiah so, uh, you know, perfectly when he told them to build houses, plant your gardens, and live your lives. They, too, they settled down. So it was not a given that being a Jew, you will feel burdened for Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah at that time was also a courtier. He was the king's cupbearer as we hear later on. In the most powerful empire at that time, he was comfortable. He was probably rich, but he was definitely set for life. The events in Jerusalem, while it was distressing, does not immediately affect his livelihood or threaten his welfare. Correct? Actually, he did not have to do anything. He did not have to do anything. You know, he was, uh, it's not his job. You know, at best, he could have sent money or someone else. At worst, it wasn't his problem. You know, he could file it away, something to think about or pray about if he remembers, after he finishes his to-do list or he finishes urgent tasks on his Google calendar. Uh, you know, the four quadrant, urgent, important, important, not urgent, you know. He could file it somewhere there, you know. And then when he remembers, you pray about it, you know. A bit like us. Problems like Ukraine, corruption, 
like God's people been in prison somewhere in the world. Our nation, COVID lockdown, COVID death. Think, what caused Nehemiah to sit down and pray and weep probably for four months? Four months, because that's the next time he picked up in chapter 2 and came up with an amazing and brilliant action plan. How did a courtier become an activist? How did he catch God's burden? How did he catch God's heart? That is actually the greatest turnaround. What about us? How do we as God people, God's people, develop a heart for the things that do not immediately concern us or threaten our welfare? In fact, it's a false sense of security anyway. Anyway, anything that happens in another part of the world will connect and threaten us sooner or later, right? How do we move from interested to intercession? How do we download God's burden? Well, there are three things that enable Nehemiah to catch God's burden. Firstly, he understood God's plan in light of His words. Secondly, he discerned his heart in light of His words. And thirdly, he interpreted events in light of these words. Let's go. Firstly, he understood God's plan in light of His words. To be where he was, Nehemiah must have been, you know, well-educated because he knew the Scripture. He was brought up, he must have been brought up a proper Jew. He knew how to fast and he knew how to pray. And he must be of good character to be trusted by the king, you know. The king don't just let anyone beside him to test his drinks. And he knew how to pray in accordance with the Word. You know, a lot like us, a lot of us, we go to church, we know God's words, you know, we are comfortable, we are well-educated. And as far as we know, there was no divine encounters with God. Nehemiah did not hear God directly. Nehemiah, God did not appear to Nehemiah. And, and at that time, Yahweh, Lord, was really literally unapproachable to the normal people. You could only approach him through the priest. All Nehemiah had was God's word. That was it. And through the scripture and through the prophets. But that was enough for Nehemiah. So he knew God's promise that he would return Israel and restore Israel later on. And that was prophesied in Isaiah 44:28, a full 150 years before King Cyrus made the decree that the Jews could go back. 150 years. And he said, and it was recorded here, who's God who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And this was again chronicled in 2 Chronicles 36. And Cyrus himself say, Who all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Amazing. God using a non-believer to build his house. And who is among you? Cyrus even challenged the Jews. Who is among you of all people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. The wall that Hanani spoke about was not the original wall that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. This was the wall, the newer wall that was built by Zerubbabel uh, uh, during the first return. But 
for some reason, the building of that wall was stopped by King Atasazus, the same king that Nehemiah was serving under, because there was some opposition from the local officials. Now, think about the implication of no walls. Without a secure wall, Jerusalem and his people would be vulnerable to attacks, uh, invaders. There will be no peace, no security, no permanent restoration of the Jewish nation and the Jewish way of life. No restoration of Jewish culture and religion. And God's promise in Isaiah and in Second Chronicles would not have come to pass. That was Hanani's news, the implication. And although Nehemiah, Nehemiah did not know it at that time, no Jerusalem means no Jewish nation means no Jewish Messiah means no Jesus. Do you see the implication now? So Jerusalem was not only important to the Jews, but it was God's plan to redeem the world through Jesus. And that would not happen unless the rebuilding took place. So he knew God's plan. And then he went ahead and he caught God's heart through the plan. So in knowing his plan, Nehemiah knew God's heart was the return and restoration of Israel. How does that translate to us? How do we discern God's heart from His words for ourselves today? How do we read God's heart? How By understanding His words correctly. You see, I had to break it to you. The Bible consists of many stories, but it's actually one big story of God redeeming His people and restoring His world. The overarching narrative is that the true Adam, Jesus, coming to redeem every tongue, every tribe, every nation on earth. And the whole Bible, whole Bible is about Jesus since before the foundation of the world. All the scripture is about Him. In fact, on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus reappeared to His uh, disciples, it was recorded in 20, Luke 24, 27. He says, he expounded all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scriptures were about him. And in John 5, 39, 40, you read it. He practically scolded the Pharisee and said, you look for eternal life in the scripture, but I am standing in front of you and the scriptures testifies of me. All of scripture is about Jesus. So, Brothers and sisters, God's Word as imparted to us today is not primarily about wisdom for living, promises of comfort, guidance for the perplexed. All these things can be found in the Bible. But to quote someone, they are as shiny pebbles that distract our attention on the great highway running from ruin to renewal. They are there, but they are tiny pebbles that distract our attention from the great highway that is literally in front of us and we miss it because we read the Bible our way. If we read the Bible separately from its primary narrative of salvation, of redemption, it will be confusing and difficult to apply to our, our life today. Worse, we miss God's heart. We miss God's heart today. 
You know, most of us go to the Bible for something for us, for us to deal with, you know, our circumstances rather than to see how God is dealing, is dealing with the world. Right or not? This morning when you did your devotion, was it about you? Don't answer that. The Bible is not about us. It's about God's love and God's compassion for us and His heart to redeem a fallen, miserable world. And we need to catch that. We need to catch that. And Nehemiah interpreted events in light of God's Word. Nehemiah knows that there is more at stake here than the restoration of one people's homeland. It's not just about Jerusalem. He interpreted the events in light of the whole Word of God. And we need to do the same. We need to do the same. Many of us cannot download God's burden because we are not looking to find the direction for our action in light of His Word. Many of us have been existing, myself included, huh? I speak also as myself, for myself. Many of us have been in, existing on artificial diet of piecemeal, piecemeal inspiration and devotional designed to prop us up. Instead of taking the time to read and understand the Scripture as a whole, we can miss the forest for the tree brothers and sisters, if we only eat pre-processed soul junk food. You can grow fat. We need the milk and the meat of the whole Scripture, whole counsel of God. If you agree with me, say Amen. amen. Hallelujah. It's so good to hear the voice of little children. Hallelujah. You know, we now know in hindsight that the promise was going to be fulfilled through Jesus, right? And Nehemiah's role was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was to rebuild the Jewish nation, the Jewish city, the Jewish temple, the Jewish priesthood, where Jesus could grow up Jewish and be the true Israel, the true temple that can serve to sacrifice for us. Nehemiah didn't know all of this, of course. But at that time, he knew he had to be faithful to God's promises and His words. Therefore, when he took in God's covenant, he knew God's covenant to Abraham. You know, God's covenant to Abraham is that Abraham was going to be, will be the blessing to all the nation, he and his offspring, right? Every devout Jew knew that. So Nehemiah, knowing this, Nehemiah was not in distress so much because the restoration seemed to have stalled indefinitely, but he was upset and he was grieved because God's people are still in disgrace. And God's promise seemed to have been frustrated by evil men. How can? How can? He thought to himself. And then furthermore, Nehemiah didn't need to ask for a sign or inspiration, <laughs> devotional, like, you know, Christian version of horoscope. You know, you've seen some of those. He understood the word. He knew where he was in God's plan. And he knew what he had to do. 
He saw where they were in the stage of redemption history and he sought to enable his people to be the people of God so that God can continue his plan to save the world through his people. And we need to do the same. We need to download God's burden without falling into this do this and God will bless me more reason. And keep praying me, me prayers. We're very silent. Don't stone me, okay? I'm only preaching the word. <laughs> of course, we can go to his words on how to pray for things, uh, how to pray, how to handle worry, how to face opposition. But those lessons, those lessons will be tied to the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, which is God's heart for us all. We have to read the scripture in the light of that. Only, you know, I, I get so worked up when I think about this. And it's a reminder of us to myself. You know, the connector between, the connection between Nehemiah's understanding of God's word and his subsequent action is his prayer, which we'll come to next. And that's how also we can grow to pray for things that doesn't concern us on the surface, doesn't concern us directly, but things that matters to God. If it matters to God, it should matter to us. Amen? Hallelujah. So, after catching God's burden, what do you do? You process His burden. You start praying, even if you're unsure what's happening, how you feel about any of it, or what all your options might be. It's never too early to come to God with your concern. You know, often what weakens us and immobilizes us is apathy, a lack of concern. Because we are relatively safe and the problem is too big for us anyway. Think about a big problem. Big problem is too big for us anyway. And we are fearful and paralyzed. We don't know where to start. But when we understood God's heart, when we read His words correctly and we take them, take them to God like Nehemiah did and spread it out in front of Him like Hezekiah did, and begin to fast and pray, and before the God of heaven, He will prepare our hearts and minds for whatever He is inviting us to confront. Amen? And remember, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear with a prayer. Hallelujah. So, we can glean three principles through Nehemiah's uh, prayer. Firstly, is that it's God versus the problem. It's not you. Okay? It's God versus the problem. Secondly, is we need to know who we are versus the problem. And thirdly, what we must do versus the problem. Let's go. God versus problem. And, and, and Nehemiah prayed, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. God is big. Therefore, your problem is small. Say again, God is big. God is big. 
Therefore, my problem is small. That's the first principle. The, your prayer flows out of a relationship with God and knowing who He is. And that just flow out of Nehemiah's prayer here. He acknowledged His greatness, called Him God of heaven, His faithfulness, God who keeps His covenant, His trust, His character, His merciful covenant-keeping God with His people, what He did in the past, what He will do in the future. That's how you come to God. Knowing who God is. Praying like this gives us perspective on how small our problem is before an omnipotent God. In the end, the answer to all our, our problems and questions is not to be found in what plans we have or what we are capable of, but in who God is. You get that? It's not about us. It's in who God is. That's the problem. It's God versus the problem. Let's go on. Nehemiah 6. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. For the children of Israel, your servant, confess the sin of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and me have sinned. You have acted very corruptly against you and you have not kept the commandments, the statute or the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nation. Who we are. We need to know who we are and whose we are. We are God's people. Never forget that. And we belong to Him and He will fight for us. Just because of that, we are His people. And we need to discern what the real problem is. You know, sometimes the real problem is not very obvious. But we need to know how we have contributed to it because a lot of the time, the problem is just a consequence of our sins, whether personally or collectively. We reap what we sow. For example, corruption. For example, racism. And I find that it's useful to think in terms of these three categories. Personal, organizational and spiritual. And in fact, if you read uh, Nehemiah's uh, prayer carefully, that's what he did. Personal, I, organizational, and my father's house, spiritual, have sinned. Okay? So, it's useful to think like that when you break down the problems, some practical handles, and everything comes back to spiritual. Nehemiah identified himself as a sinner along with Israel for rebellion, for, dishonest, uh, for disobedience and treachery. You know, the power of identification prayer is that we not only can pray on a personal level, but we can all function as intercessors on a corporate level. Okay? For example, we identify with and repent for our churches and pray for renewal and revival in our land. We identify with our own race and repent for our racist attitudes towards the other races. That's identification prayer. That's the power of it. And lastly, we need to supplicate God's problem. We need to upload it back to God. What we must do. But if you return to me, God says, and keep, uh, sorry, Nehemiah says, and keep my commandments and do them and thought and though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them 
from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a swelling, swelling pula, sorry, dwelling for my name. That's the, that's the uh, occupation hazard of being a doctor. <laughs> now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to hear, to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. The first thing we need to do is to return to him. It's a non-negotiable deal breaker. You return to him. Confess the sin of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, Nehemiah cried out. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We need to repent. Repent means what? Change our ways. Turn around and come back to Him. You know, God is a God of second chances. He's a merciful God and He's gracious and He's ready to forgive us if we come back to Him. And with the repentance, our, our relationship will be restored. We will be gathered back to Him. Shown in the Nehemiah prayer that. Supplication. Supplicate means what? Supplicate means asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. He cried out, let your ears be attentive. We remind him of his promise. His promise, you know, if, if you come back to me, I will gather you. If I will. And his power is, you know, he, he reminded God that, you know, how powerful he was uh, in... in uh, saving them out of Egypt by your strong hand. That is from Exodus. By your strong hand. He reminded God, this powerful God will make a way even though we can't see how and when. Remember last week, God works the night shift. When you don't read, you, maybe you think, think God was working, but God will work. And how does He work? He works. He starts from where we are. God can use anyone. You know, when, when Nehemiah used the word, I was the king's cupbearer, it was right at the end. It was not in the prayer. It was as if, you know, it, it's not important. It's a footnote. You know, it's an understatement. But you know how powerful the cupbearer position was? It was the direct line to the king's ear, right? But it means that it was inconsequential. God can use anyone. You know, if God can use a comedian to lead a country and clowns to read other countries. He can use anyone. And when we supplicate, please be careful of two extremes. Okay? Firstly is, everything is in God's hand. So we pray, we don't need to do anything. We wait, lah. We wait for God. And secondly is, everything in our own effort. Pray already, then go and do things ourselves. Okay? Those are two extremes. But, brothers and sisters, we need to do what we can. We need to equip ourselves and we need to grow ourselves our side of the prayer. Our side of the prayer. Right? Um, reminds me of a, of a story uh, uh, recently that I heard from uh, the True Success Conference. Uh, one of the speakers was relating this, this story about a lady who came to him and asked him uh, how he, she could sell the toys that she had brought. She had brought a lot of toys 
And the speaker asked this lady, so uh, why do you buy all these toys? Oh, because I heard God saying it in my prayer. Okay? How do you intend to sell the toys? I don't know. Do you, did you do any business plan? Any SWOT analysis? Competitor landscape? Right? No. So, the moral of the story is, it's fine to hear from God. But we need to do our part as well. We change what we can change. We align our lives with His words. In our spiritual life, we need to fast and pray. In, 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 in our, uh, we need to learn to weep. We need to be led by the Spirit faithfully. In our personal life, we need to get involved with God, what God wants. You know, often, often God calls you to ministry is that you see needs that others don't. Okay? Some things that just, just rouse you and stir passion in you, but other people don't seem to care. Right? So if that's you, that's maybe how God is stirring you to feel the need. Don't grumble about why the church is not doing this ministry, why the church is not doing, why we're not looking after that group. If you see the need, God is calling you. Yeah. You need to be willing to get involved in what God wants. The firewall of Malaysia is still going on, the prayer. Join it. And very soon, we'll be starting to pray for GE15. Amen? Then we leave it in God's hand and we trust Him completely. But we continue to wait on Him with petition and interceding. With patience and perseverance and worship. Do you know that godly perseverance is the product of grateful worship? If you can't worship, you can't persevere. Worship God. And God may not answer you in the way you desire or plan, but it will be better because it will be in His will. It will not only be a good outcome, it will be a God outcome. Remember, it's not about control. It's about consecration. Amen? Last few months, I've been going through a very rough patch emotionally. It started <clears throat> insidiously and unconsciously. It probably started with a little hurt about something, but it grew and grew. I became bitter and more bitter. And this bitterness was compounded by past hurts which I thought was settled. But it was there one. You know, on the, I was still walking with God okay, but I began to question my worth and even my place in life. Outwardly, I was, I was okay. You know, Pastor John. But I was tired. And I was tired mentally and spiritually. At home, I was grumpy and irritable. There was no joy and no passion. It came to a head one Sunday in church where I couldn't feel the presence of God at all. And I confided in my best buddy about my pain and maybe planning to take a long break from everything 
During the conversation, a brother interrupted us. He walked past and interrupted our conversation. And then something else happened and interrupted. And so, I, although I didn't think much of it at that time, those things interrupted my plan to follow through. Two days later, as I was having my evening walk, I was again crying out to God to show me the way forward as I was really feeling down. And I was again thinking of, you know, going through with a plan. Just then, I took out my phone and noticed a message that was sent that morning. But I didn't open because I was too busy. I opened it. It was a text from the same brother who interrupted us two days ago. Same brother. You read, Morning, Pastor John. How are you there? You have been prompted in my mind for the last two days. Better send you a text. Smiling face with squinty eyes and tears. Anything I can pray together with you. I, 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 I stopped dead in my track. Luckily, there was no car behind me. I could just sense God saying, I heard you. And I love you. And I'm with you. Two days ago, I stopped you. And now I'm telling you, it will be okay. My eyes started watering, you know, from the sand in the wind. It was very windy. All the things that I was carrying just melted away. The gloom lifted and the bitterness left. Last night, my wife asked me, Sugar? I said, Yeah. Do you know what it's like to be touched by God? That was a touch from God. But you know, this brother who texted me didn't have to get involved. And whatever Pastor John was going through had no immediate impact on him, you know. He had no idea what was going through in my life. And he could easily, you know, not act on his prompting to connect and pray with me. But he was faithful and he was willing to get involved with what God wanted. He did what he had to do and left it with God. And God used his message to turn me around. Thank you, my brother, for doing what you can do and trust God to do the rest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Coming to the end. We need to grow beyond the, the, the problem. As we pray and persevere, our burdens evolve to include His burden. Then slowly as we understand His heart more and more, His burden also becomes ours. We be begin to see other needs. You know the song, Break My Heart for What Break Yours? Our prayer changed from Help Me God! To how can we help you, God? Right. 
our hearts and sights get lifted up beyond our horizon and we see things from God's eternal perspective and His love for the world. Just like, you know, watching ground level and from the drone and we truly position ourselves to be used by Him. You know, Nehemiah could have done so many things instead of going to repair the wall. But I believe during the four months that he was praying, God molded his heart and the burden grew from praying for Jerusalem to rebuilding Jerusalem. The, you see, prayer grows and enlarges the prayer year. Prayer grows and enlarges the prayer year, the person who prays. It will move you from for my will to for His will and glory. And may we all, like Nehemiah at the end, be a people who desire to fear His name and delight in honouring God. I hope you've been blessed today by downloading, learning how to download God's burden, reloading His burden and uploading it back to Him so that He can work wonders through you. Yet, the greatest message about Nehemiah is not about Nehemiah. Who is it about? Jesus. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Just like Nehemiah, Jesus left the security of a palace, heavenly palace, at the right hand of the king. He left safety and glory to come into a dangerous place, the world. He joined humanity, humanity as a builder. Ring any bell? With the certainty of death. He knew he was coming to die. But our salvation would not have been accomplished if he hadn't done so. Because the ultimate turnaround was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Understanding God's love and burden he prayed the ultimate turnaround prayer. Not my will, but yours. On the cross, Jesus facing the greatest challenge in His earthly life, at the very lowest point of His life, be crucified and God forsaken. He trusted in God to deliver Him. The apparent defeat of the cross turned out to be the greatest victory of all time. And that's the ultimate turnaround. That's what the Bible is about. And we're all here because of that. Today, do you need to turn around? Bring your life to Jesus. And bring Jesus into your life. And that, if that's you who says, yes, I want to turn around and have Jesus in my life, Pray this prayer together with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to save me. On my own, I cannot save myself. Today, I want to ask you to come into my life as my Lord and Saviour. We thank, I thank you for all the love you have for me by dying on the cross to redeem my sin and rose three days later 
resurrected with new life. Today, I want the same new life in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come into my life. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Thanks so much for listening. If you need prayer or want to be a part of our family, visit us at SkylineSIB.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at SkylineSIB. Remember, you are highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved. Have a great week.